Hi, this is Ben Gay, and I want to welcome you to Black Belt Selling. Welcome to Black Belt Selling with Stephanie and Anna Scheller. I'm Anna. And I'm Stephanie. We're a mother-daughter team who are passionate about helping you break through those obstacles that cause you to make fewer sales. Or actually, we want you to make more sales. What am I talking about? On Black Belt Selling, we bring guests and we bring content to help you grow your business, to become more confident, but most of all, in order to reach your goals, the reason that you're in business. You can learn more about us by going to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash black belt selling. There you will see people post. You will be welcomed into the group. More importantly, though, you will know when these podcasts go live. So go to black belt. Uh, sorry, I keep doing that. Facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash black belt selling. Today, Stephanie, we have an amazing guest. This guy is iconic when it comes to sales. Who do we have today? We have the legendary Mr. Ben Gay III. And yes, you did hear that correctly. His name is Ben Gay III. And this guy, I gotta, I gotta preface something for you guys, okay? Goes in for one of his first sales interviews. He's sitting next to this other guy. This is why we said the legendary Ben Gay III. Because he's sitting next to this other guy. They're applying for the same job. And the guy interviewed the both of them and decided to hire both of them. The other guy's name was Zig Ziglar. That is who we interviewed. Precisely. I Not thought you were going to feel on their side. <laughs> there you go. Woo! Not only that, but <laughs> Ben, ben re, he has republished the classic book, Sales Closing Power, by J. Douglas Edwards. J. Douglas Edwards. A lot of the things that we hear in the sales world about scripting and about um, how to close came from this man. And he was a contemporary as a matter of fact, he, Ben Gay learned from J. Douglas Edwards. So you're going to hear a lot of great things. We want you to listen. And then at the very end, you're going to hear some more. So stay tuned and watch or listen. Welcome to Black Belt Selling. And of course, we want to thank you, Ben Gay, not to be confused with the ointment, uh, for joining <laughs> us today. Thank you for being with us, Ben. My pleasure. Yeah, I gotta say, Ben. Every every single time I tell people that I, I know I know one of Zig Ziglar's contemporaries. I know this amazing guy. He's brilliant. He's genius. You gotta check him out. He just he just drops such knowledge. And I'm always like, his name's Ben Gay the Third, and everyone goes, what? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, no, really. Like they all think I'm pulling their legs. It's awesome. Whenever I introduce myself, I say I'm Ben Gay, and I can tell by the look on their face, they don't think they heard it right. They'll call me Ned or Dan, or it can't be Ben Gay. And when I see that pause, I stick my arm, my left arm out, rub it with this arm, and say, just like the back rub. They, now they believe they've heard it. As I think I've, I've told you, I use it when I open talks. I say, let's get this Ben Gay thing out of the way first. And they usually crack up. And then I go into a thing about I'm Ben Gay the third. 
<clears throat> and I've had a lot of grief with that. It's also been the best thing that ever happened to me, but I've had a lot of grief with that. And uh, so we had to debate, what do we name our first son? And uh, we went back and forth. And uh, finally, we decided we couldn't do it to him. So we named him Absorbing Junior. <laughs> oh, well, that was... Stephanie, are you, do you know what that is? Yeah, yeah. Was, Steph, Stephanie may not. Hey. Yeah, you have to be. A, I, I'm discovering with crowds. If I see a lot of young faces, I don't get the laugh I used to get. But I went in our drugstore the other day, and it's still there on the bottom shelf. I'll grant you, but it's still there. So uh, I may start carrying a bottle of Absorbing Junior with me, and then hold it up to make sure you have a visual prop to help them get the answer. And then in the Coast Guard in the military, last name first, first name last. I was, of course, for six years at mail call, Gay Ben. Oh, oh no. Yeah. <laughs> so well, way back then, Stephanie. I know, that was actually a big deal in the military. Was, yeah. uh, you know, gay, gay meant something else, okay? And happy. And, and then happy. Yeah, and, the and I was thinking of the don't ask, don't tell thing that isn't around anymore. And and Ben Gay uh, wasn't even spelled my way. It was spelled B-E-N-G-U-E, Benjou, named after the inventor, Dr. Benjou, a French doctor. But they couldn't get Americans to say Benjou. Americans would look at it and say Ben Gay. And uh, so finally they gave up and changed over to my spelling. In 1960, my senior year in high school, my life changed. <laughs> for sure, for sure, for sure. Well, it is always um, wonderful to have you because, well, I mean, simply because you're just a wealth of knowledge and you've been so successful. But I, I know that your roots go back probably while I was still, um, still going to grade school. Um, and you and Zig, you both went to the same place to get to get your training and uh jay douglas edwards kind of comes into that picture somehow he does uh jay douglas edwards uh was my first sales trainer i could safely say everything i knew about selling in the first two years i learned from jay douglas edwards and this is the book i wrote for him after he died uh sales closing power by jay douglas edwards inside we say that I really did it, but it's true to his seminar teaching and uh, to the personal notes I took when I was with him. So when Zig, Zig already had a personality, but he was a little short on sales training, uh, I, I was uh, the same way uh, to a lesser degree. I didn't have his personality, but we were both a little short on the training area, formal training. Zig was one of those naturals, who, you know, came out of his mother's womb looking for a pot or a pan to sell to somebody. And uh, so, but yeah, September 15th, 1965, a Wednesday at noon, Zig and I had answered the same ad. Uh, we thought it was a, a employment ad. It turned out it was a business opportunity uh, ad. And what we were going to was a business opportunity meeting, not a strict interview. 
So we both fell for that, but that's all right. It worked out well for both of us. So Bill Dempsey had run the ad, conducted the meeting, and Zig and I each put, and my buddy and, and uh, business partner, uh, James H. Rucker Jr., Jimmy Rucker, the greatest salesman I ever worked with, uh, we put up our $91.42, walked up a little ramp, door slammed behind us, and the rocket took off. Uh -huh. and we, I didn't know we were on a rocket till it had launched. <laughs> a great way to phrase it. I think some of the most successful people in the world end up doing the exact same thing. They see the opportunity, yeah. they take it, and all of a sudden they're going, whoa. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, so, I Stephanie has a daughter. Whoa, what happened? <laughs> so bringing it back to sales here, how did, how did Jay Douglas Edwards come into the picture? How did you connect with him? I won a little sales contest in Atlanta uh, just about the time I learned the scripts and actually started doing something. I, the first six months was wasted because I was going to just do it on personality <clears throat> without learning any scripts or anything. And uh, finally, Bill Dempsey asked me not to come to the meetings anymore because I was depressing people. I never showed up with anybody, but because I was there every night, people would call, call me over to help with their prospects, which I couldn't do because I hadn't oh, no. learned that script. Uh, I couldn't get <laughs> the meeting. And he, one night he stopped, stopped me when I came in. He said, Ben, I appreciate if you wouldn't come back to the meetings anymore. Well, by that, that, that time, Jimmy and I had $5,000 invested in it in 1965 dollars, about 50000 a day. I couldn't afford not to come to the meetings. So I learned the scripts. There was a contest almost immediately afterwards. First prize, and I describe it in Sales Closing Power, first prize was a trip to Miami, Florida, to an American sales masters convention. That was a company that used to put on big rallies before anybody else was doing anything like that and have in a bunch of speakers and so on. Uh, so I got to go to American sales masters convention, sit on the front row, uh, listen to all of them and have a private dinner with Jay Douglas Edwards. And, uh, when we walked into the dining room of the hotel, I think he'd already spoken, but he was well known anyway. We walked into the uh, dining room and somebody, I heard somebody whisper, that's Jay Douglas Edwards. And the whole room, because it was filled with people who were attending the convention, the whole room stood and gave him a standing ovation. And wow. I thought, wow, you know, there's a little goal for you. And in the book, I tell about a time when it happened to me a few years later, almost exactly the same. But anyway, we sat down and uh, the waiter came over. I just learned the other night they're now called servers. But at the time, they were waiters. Right. Waiter came over and said, how can I help you? And uh, Doug handed him a $100 bill, about $1,000 today, handed him a $100 bill and said, uh, we're just going to need water which wasn't what I had in mind. I thought I was going to get a free dinner. He said, we're just going to need water. This young man tells me he wants to learn how to sell. And he gave me a one-on-one, face-to-face, nose-to-nose sales training meeting for, I don't know, two, three, four hours until we heard the vacuum cleaners running. You know, that sound, if you've stayed in a nightclub too long or a restaurant too long, the vacuum cleaners were running. I looked around with the only two still sitting at the table. And he shook my hand, said, well, good luck. And uh, less than a year later, he was working for me. I had become president of the company and uh, wow. hired him on a regular basis. So uh, 
the worm turned, but it was due primarily to him. It isn't everything I know about selling now, not by a long shot, but it was sort of the kindergarten, first and second grade of selling. And people my age uh, were trained by Doug Edwards or the people that trained them were. There were just a few people around who knew anything about selling, Elmer Wheeler, uh, who we'll talk about in a minute if, if uh, I think uh, Anna said she wanted to discuss something he did. But Elmer Wheeler, Fred Herman from Cedartown, Georgia, became a good friend of mine. Uh, Jay Douglas, of course. And everybody else was sort of a humorous. You know, Cavett Robert, one of the great speakers of all time, who we all loved. He, co he It was his idea, but I was one of the first 12 members of the National Speakers Association. He started that and so on. But if you really take a hard look at Cavett when you listen to his recordings, he was a humorist. They could have worked in nightclubs. Oh. Uh, they were, they were stand-ups and, you know, had funny stories that had something to do with selling. If they were speaking to a dental association, they told funny stories that had something to do with dentistry. Uh, but the, uh, that was the foundation. What I, Jimmy Rucker, the, my partner, and as I said, the greatest salesman I ever worked with said the other day on Facebook that uh, he gave me some credit because I was sort of the go-getter in the beginning. And he gave my father some credit because dad was the one that talked us into selling and for him for a while. And, uh, but Rucker said, frankly, much to my surprise, I didn't realize Doug had had that big an impact on him. He said, I would not be in, I would not have been in selling. He's retired now. I would not have been in selling were it not for Jay Douglas Edwards. So that, that was the impact he had on people like us. We just thought, you know, you, like Willie Loman and Death of a Salesman, a good handshake, shine shoes, and a personality, and you were off and running. Well, that's not true, as anyone of, of us who've done well in selling now know. Mm -hmm. uh, but Doug was the first one to break that to me. Wow. You know, um, it's interesting because a lot of what you learn in the books, and they're so valuable still as working with a coaching client, uh, just a couple of days ago, he's like, how do I get referrals? And I said, well, I'll tell you what, I took this straight out of J. Douglas Edwards' book. I said, if you go to somebody and say, hey, do you know anybody that could use my services? They'll go, I can't think of anybody right now. So what you do is you have a list of five, five professions that people normally use. I said, so let's come up with a list of those. And we did. I said, okay, now when you go to people and ask for referrals, you're going to ask them, do you have a banker? Do you have a this? Do you have a that? Do you work with this person? Do you think Absolutely. they'd mind if I called and, and used your name? And, and they're like, and I'm just thinking that came straight out of Jay Douglas Edwards' book, Sales Closing Power, the one that you held up. And they're so, you know, scripting is so very valuable. Um, but there's so much emphasis right now on relationships. You've got to build the relationships first. Does that negate scripting or does that work hand in hand? How does that work with scripting? Scripting is the effective way to present something after testing and trying. It has nothing to, you know, I believe in relationships. I don't believe in scripting. Like, I hope they don't go to movies or watch television or anything since everything they see there and they believe John Wayne is their close personal friend. Everything they see there is scripted or the actor doesn't work anymore. It's scripted and tested there it, it has nothing that's like uh 
I'm allergic to oranges, so I'm not going to eat pineapples. It has nothing to do with, of course, you build relationships. In, uh, funny you should mention that particular thing, at the risk of looking like someone who's hawking books, this is the closers <laughs> part two. The last chapter in the closers part two is the best thing ever written about selling by me or anybody else. It starts on page 257. It's called sales infiltration. And sales infiltration is about building relationships quickly. Most sales are made or lost in the first 10 to 15 seconds. They can be saved shortly thereafter in a good relationship building thing as described in sales infiltration. The reason I brought that up at this moment is back to Doug Edwards. The gentleman that chapter is written about, an old friend of mine passed away now, sold uh, home gifts. I don't, I'm not sure what you would call it. He's the guy who sells you things you really don't need, but they're pretty and or you give them to, to the brides and she doesn't really need them either, but they're pretty, you know, that type of stuff. And uh, he tell, he used to tell the story of he went to a, a seminar with J. Douglas Edwards, might've been in Miami with me. I, I don't know how many people I was sitting in the room with who later were major factors in my life, but he went to a Doug Edwards seminar and Doug Edwards said, told the referral thing that you're talking about, how you get them to come up with referrals, that you should never leave an appointment without five referrals at least, uh, more if you can get them. And uh, one of the great things to leave with is their church directory. If they're mm -hmm. active in their church, you know, they hand you that or lend it to you for a day and you promise to photocopy it and return them to you've just picked up a thousand or 2000 or whatever uh, referrals. So, uh, he said, I was so stupid when I attended that first Doug Edwards thing. And he said, never call on anybody that you don't get five referrals. He said, I made one cold call, knocked on a door, made an appointment, came back the next day and so on. He said, I was scared to death. It's the only cold, cold call I ever made. And he said, but I got five referrals, made a sale and got five referrals. And then the closest part two, we go into details about how he explains it to a family and how he's not there, just there for a one shot thing and so on. And then he asked for the referrals and he said, I got five referrals, I think, you know, five, six, seven, whatever. He said, I got five or so, I think. And I went and called on those people. And from here, I, I'm making up numbers now, but from here, I got 10 referrals. And from here, I got three. And from there, I got six and so on. And then I called on them and got their referrals and the referrals get easier by the way and in, in a circle of influence because once you've been referred around in the circle and you get referred to somebody they go oh yeah I've heard of Ben Gay yeah you know let me talk to him versus it might be a little colder the first time you got referred or the first time they've heard your name but anyway he was in the industry for 40 years and because he was stupid and did what Doug told him to do, he made one cold call his entire career that first night. Wow. Every call he made for 40 years thereafter, you could trace back to the, through the family tree to that first call. And, wow. you could, and you could trace that back to Doug Edwards telling him, get five referrals. So that's how powerful it can be. And now with the internet and social media and all, it just gets easier and easier and easier. I, I keep hearing things that Zig and I have said, or Tom Hopkins or Doug or anybody as old school. There's nothing new about new selling, whatever that is, except the getting the prospects are, is easier. 
you can you can far more. But once you come in contact with a with a prospect, uh, whether it's by email or text or uh, Facebook or knocking on their door or whatever, once you've made contact, either in written or spoken words, you have to build a relationship and sell them. That part, nothing has changed since the Yankee peddler. He or she rode around on a mule, then got upscaled to a horse, which went a little faster. Then they got a wagon. Uh, then we got cars. Then we got telephones. And so I've, I, I kick in at about the car and telephone level. I, I never rode around on a mule making uh, sales calls. Uh, but uh, everything since then is the same. Once I get in contact with you, my job is to build a friendship quickly. It'll, it can strengthen over time, uh, but to build a friendship and trust uh, relationship and to lay out the ground rules, which in sales infiltration, I explain. People, people say, you know, I, I keep range to this objection. And if I respond at all on Facebook or whatever, I say, that's because you're not a sales infiltrator. Read the closers part two. We don't have those objections because I bring all that up front. This is also a Doug Edwards thing. I wasn't thinking about him when I wrote it, but we bring all that up, that stuff up front. You can't say to me, I want to think it over at the end of an hour long presentation because we already cleared up in the first five, six minutes. You're not going to do that to me. <laughs> right. you, know, you can say no, you know, but you, you'll die a slow death in selling on maybes and be backs. And I want to think it over and Call so on. Over. I, talk yeah. To I, yeah, I give you my presentation. I want a yes or a no. But I also yeah. know how to maneuver, your in, maneuver you into that position so that it will be, with, with unbelievable accuracy, 86% in my case, it'll be a yes. But like lawyers learn their first day in law school, I don't ask a closing question. They just say a question. I don't ask a question to which I don't already know the answer. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, or I wouldn't have asked you. Speaking of um, lawyers, I've been meaning to ask you this, Ben. We did an interview with you. You were one of our first, what? One of our first 20, 30 interviews with Black Belt Selling. First 10. Oh, first yeah. He was one of the- you, And one thing you said stuck with, like, seriously, is stuck with me. And you said the only difference, and it's actually on my board, the only difference between a salesman and a conman, and, and I bring this up because lawyers, you know, the connection, sure. right? Um, yeah, only- con, con men and lawyers is being redundant. Right, exactly. But you said the only difference between a salesman and a con man is the belief in their products. Could you, right. you kind of dropped that nugget bomb and then we moved on, you know, way back then. Could you maybe elaborate a little bit on this one? Because I've used it a hundred times. It's one of my favorite quotes ever. Well, thank you. Uh, and it- Credit again, this is like a Jada Goes Edwards tribute show. Uh, <laughs> normally, I don't talk about him that much, but uh, Doug Edwards said one day, either over lunch or in a seminar or somewhere, sometimes I blend things together because I don't remember how they happened. As somebody said, well, you said Dr. Hill said so-and-so, uh, but when he talked to me or I heard him talk, he said this. I said, I'm really sorry. 52 years ago, when I first sat down with him, I didn't know I was going to be questioned so closely. I should have recorded it and had a, had a court reporter with us for all these meetings. But somewhere, Doug Edwards said to me, casually from the stage or whatever, the only difference between a salesman 
uh, and a con man is belief in product. And I really wrestled with that. It was like I used to have arguments with Dr. Hill about whatever the man, mind a man can conceive and believe it can achieve. And I said, unless he's crazy. And Hill, Hill was eating, Dr. Hill was eating, and he put his fork down and said, what? No one had ever questioned him on that. I said, unless he's crazy, the insane asylums are filled with people who can conceive and believe and so on. It just can't be done. So we argued and debated in a friendly manner. And finally, we agreed if he ever rewrote the book or rewrote that sentence, he would put dash, unless he's crazy. <laughs> and are, you, are you talking about Napoleon Hill, the author of Think and Grow Rich? Yeah. Uh, and so... I had to check. You dropped the name so casually, so... Well, Dr. Hill worked for me for the last two, two and a half years of his life. Uh, he was he was my mentor and friend, a gift to me on my uh, uh, 26 or something like that birthday. Uh, William Penpatrick, the owner of the company I was running, brought him to my office, introduced me and gave him to me as a gift, already paid. He was sort of gift wrapped with a bow around his head. And he said, I'm, I know from time to time you'll be a, afraid to ask me things or whatever. So... Dr. Hill and I continued to debate it and so on. And finally, it was whatever the mind of man can conceive and believe it can achieve, dash, unless he's crazy. To reach goals, they must be specific, measurable, and attainable. And so that, to me, is the complete thought. Whatever the mind of man, as long as he's not crazy, and as long as the goals are specific, measurable, and attainable. And he and I shook hands and agreed that's the way we would describe it from that point on. Uh, whether we went back and wrote another version of the book, I don't know. Okay, so that was that's arguing with Dr. Hill. When I was a young punk, arguing with people was part of my specialty. So that's arguing with Dr. Hill. Back to arguing with Doug uh, Edwards. Yeah. Uh, I, I sort of took it personally because I considered myself a salesman and I didn't want to be considered a con man. But he went on to explain over several lunches or dinners that the con man comes from the word confidence man. Con man is just shorthand for, con man, for a confidence man. And he said, what is a confidence man? Well, I'd never heard that term other than con man, but I figured it out on my own. You win the confidence of people and get them to like you and trust you, and then you turn over your money. What makes it a con is if it's a useless snake oil product versus some sort of, uh, versus Ben Gay, the rub-on product that is miraculous, I'm told. I haven't used it in years, but I, I'm told it's miraculous. I do have my Ben Gay take to seminars tube <laughs> right here that I hold up uh, when I do the Ben Gay jokes. Uh, so, and I thought, oh, I get it now. Uh, the technique is the same, not unlike a gun. You can use a gun to defend your family or uh, hunt deer to feed them uh, or for sport. Uh, or you can use a gun to shoot up a school. The gun isn't the problem. It's the person. The techniques of selling are not the problem. It's the uh, honesty and authenticity. God, I got the word right. I'm so proud of myself. Authenticity of the person doing the selling. So Doug was right. It took me a while to dope it out, but he was right. It maybe wasn't artfully phrased, but he was right in that the only difference between a salesman and a con man is belief in product. Now, um, you know, when we were, so for our, our listening audience, and you'll be watching this on YouTube, 
This is actually a take two of a previous interview, which the minute Ben heard it, he contacted me and he said, take that thing down. We can't have <laughs> that. Well, he I wasn't quite that way. But I sound bad enough without bad audio. So <laughs> I, I, need, I need all the help I can get. <laughs> so, um, so we wanted to recapture some of that. So yes, the comment was one of the important ones. The other one we wanted to talk uh, to re revisit was the fourth man perspective. And uh, I think that's really important because in the, in the industry of sales, it can be so, so common. It's so easy to just think about one perspective. And that is the perspective that gets me to the commission. But talk about that fourth wall perspective and how valuable that is in sales, especially today. Well, it's a theater term. When you go to a a play, for instance, there are four walls. Everybody's aware of three of them, stage uh, left, uh, audience left, stage right, whatever, right, left, and the back wall, whatever that is, whatever the scenery is. The fourth wall is where the audience sits. They are, to a person on stage, the fourth wall. They look out and see, you know, if it's a big enough crowd. When I talk to 10,000 people, it always reminds me of an oil painting. There's very little interaction you don't want to play just to the front row you play to the middle distance and act like you can see the people in the balconies and so on so that's your perspective the fourth wall is their perspective looking at you and you need to be aware of that i'll give you a practical example when i teach public speaking and i've taught it off and on for over 50 years taught it in two prisons uh taught it to dozens and dozens and dozens of audiences over the years. Uh, all the hard work I used to do to get people to don't do this, do this. You're always sticking your finger in your ear. Don't do that. And so on ended when I figured out the secret of videotaping presentations, because when somebody sees themselves uh, not handling things right, they clear it up like that. I quit smoking. I was a three pack a day smoker. I quit smoking. 40 years ago, because I did a seminar in New York back in the days uh, when audiences on the tables in front of them, there was a water pitcher every two or three people, a glass in front of everybody, and an ashtray about every other person, and the audience would smoke if they were so inclined. And if the seminar, if it was a seminar where you're going to be up there for a while and you smoked as the speaker, you smoked. Um, and uh, <laughs> So that's that funny, isn't it, to you? Yeah. <laughs> everybody did. Everybody did. If they already smoked and everybody else suffered because secondhand smoke, right. everyone in the audience smoked, <laughs> however unwilling. But I don't remember anybody ever complaining about it. That was just life the way it was. <laughs> it was yeah, I remember. Yeah. So I come back from New York, I'm up in our training room, uh, and uh, on the big screen, I had it taped, as I try to do all the time, and I'm sitting up there, smoking a cigarette, feet up on the desk, watching me, and I was astounded how much time I spent, back then I wore only black, still only wear black, but it's three-piece black suit and, you know, black tie and so on, I sort of look like Zorro's best friend. Uh, <laughs> And I was amazed how much time I spent brushing ashes off my suit and 
leaning down to pick up something and then smoke goes up into your eye and so you, you're doing the awkward blink uh, and then looking for a place to put the cigarette out when that time came and so on. And so I'd forgotten what I was talking about or what I was watching me talk about and I thought, you look like an idiot. My God. Uh, and so I took, the, I took a pack of uh, Marlboro's, I think is what I smoked, or Winston's, out of my pocket, wadded it up, threw, into the tra threw it in a trash can right near where I was sitting, and I've never smoked again. But I did it from watching myself look bad on video. Uh, and if I and, and I also probably picked up something good that day, something I was doing. You know, that's effective. I'll leave that in. Uh, so I do that now with public speaking students, I say, bring your own camera, have somebody, you know, buddy up, he, you take his picture, he takes yours, she takes yours, etc. And uh, because you go to the back of the room and watch yourself perform, and you'll shape up much quicker than anything I could say or do for you. I also say and do things for them, but that's the key to it. Well, fourth wall perspective is when you're set, if I'm set, for instance, right now, uh, and I'm looking in your face, and uh, I'm aware of that, but I'm also aware, fourth wall, of someone looking at this two years from now who is seeing just me on screen or just you on screen, and should I be looking right in the camera? I have a habit of looking at into your eyes, which uh -huh. at, at home looks like I'm not looking where I should be looking. Right, uh, right. When, when I do a television interview, I always say, first thing I say to the director when I come on board, I say, I'm your worst, wor I'm your worst nightmare. I'm not going to look in the camera and pretend like I'm Ron Papil. Uh, I'm going to look at the host, and your job is to, if you want me looking dead in the camera, put the put a camera directly behind the host because that's where I'm going to be looking. I have a conversation. It's your job to make it look like I'm moving around. Earl Nightingale, I used to kid Earl. He he didn't. Uh, he hated public speaking. Hated it. And uh, he was charging $500 when most of us weren't charging anything. Zig and I were charging 300 and But they wouldn't stop hiring him, so he raised it to 1000 Then he raised it to 1500 Keep in mind, this is 20, well, 30, 40 years ago. So he was, in today's money, asking ten, fifteen thousand, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 for a talk when the rest of us were in today's money asking for 3000 at the top end and so on. And I said, you keep raising your fee. I, I finally got him to grandfather us in because we used him constantly. He worked for us as the voice of several of our companies and appeared at the sales meetings. I said, I've got to get, get grandfathered in. You keep jacking up your prices. Why are you doing that? Because I knew where he was working primarily for us. Uh, and Beltone, a few other people. I said, why do you keep jacking your price up? He said, I'm trying to find that point at which people will leave me the hell alone. <laughs> and, <laughs> and he died without quite finding it. And I said, all that to say this. If you ever watch The Strangest Secret on video, which is the audio video version of his famous 1956 record, the original is right over there in my uh, well, behind that backing, um, a 33 and a third RPM record from Columbia, the largest selling non-entertainment record in history. Yeah, uh, that Bill Dempsey gave me that the day I joined the company and said, this might help you. Less than two years later, Earl was working for me. It helped. He gave me, 
he gave me a copy of Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich. He said, read this, it can help you. And I said, thank you. Uh, two years later, Dr. Hill was working for me. So I used to kid both of them. They were all out the house several times, but one weekend in particular, they said, do you think my, our material helped you? And I said, well, look around. It's one of the bigger houses in Marin County. And we just got an offer a yacht and they both worked for me. And I said, yeah, I, I think they helped a little bit since I was $100 a week food broker shortly before I read the book and listened to the recording. But anyway, if you get the record, the video of Earl, you will notice he's standing at a lectern with his hands on the lectern and he's looking dead ahead into the, the there were three cameras there that day, looking dead ahead into the middle camera. And the only reason, the only way they were able to make Earl look like he was alive and if you watch the video, you'll see it, is they would blend from one camera to the other, not just shift, but blend. You'd see him looking dead at you, and then from the, you'd see a side view phase in, and then that would be the thing, and then another side view from the other, and that would phase in. And I, I told him, I said, Earl, your cameramen were magnificent. They almost made you look like you were alive. <laughs> and enjoying the experience, which I assure you he didn't. He was a radio guy. He sat in a booth. I got yeah. a great story about that someday for you. Uh, he would sit in his booth and cold cut. You could type up something right now off the top of your head. And if Earl were alive, you could hand it to him. He'd sit down and read it perfectly. First time he ever saw it. Didn't have to yeah. read it. Didn't have to study it. And he was a master at that. But speaking in public, he hated, hated. Yeah. Even appearing in public, he hated. So in fact, uh, I don't know that he always did it, but on several occasions, as we were getting ready to put him on at one of our meetings, uh, he would be handed by me or somebody a double bourbon. And he would, I started to say sip it, but he actually drank it, <laughs> drank it before he went on, just to steady his nerves. So, Ben, <clears throat> I wanted you to tell, you know, this is about, um, we're trying to help people with scripting. And we really, you told the story the last time about one egg or two, and I think it's really powerful to help people understand how subtle changes in language can help people understand, or help people grow their businesses. And it's not manipulation. It's not, there was nothing in the story that suggested manipulation. It was merely a subtle suggestion that nearly emptied the country or the area of eggs. Can you tell that story? Caused a national egg shortage. And that was Elmer Wheeler hired by F.W. Woolworth. And he's the one who gave me a love for short phrases that wrap it all up. I was telling the story of, of Gigi, my wife, who has a little side hustle in eBay. And I got her to, when people, let's say she's asking 100, uh, they say 50. She used to say, how about 75 or something? And the percentage of success was not very good. And I heard it and heard it. And I heard her complaining about it one night. Uh, and I, I said, why don't you try this? Uh, you ask 100. They said 50. And you're willing to take 75. Say uh, 75 and it's yours, exclamation mark. And her closing rate just skyrocketed. 
virtually everybody takes it and the rest don't argue. They just go away and that's fine too. Uh, and then I was alluding to McDonald's just came up with one. McDonald's is slave labor and you can't feed a family uh, of four on what McDonald's is paying you. I couldn't feed a family of four what I made as a soda jerk when I was a kid either, but I wasn't planning on it. It, it was my first job, you know. So if you've seen it recently, McDonald's is now saying, McDonald's, America's best first job. It just takes everything, all the problems away. We're not saying this is a career, folks. It, you know, it may be. The, the chairman of the board of McDonald's started flipping fries, uh, flipping uh, hamburgers, uh, but we, we just take it all away. F.W. Woolworth, which was then the largest retail, most of your listeners won't even know who they were, Woolworth's Five and Dime, F.W. Woolworth. They were the largest restaurant chain in the world. Their lunch counters stretch, if you put them in the end, I forget the number, 24 miles or something like that. They sold more potatoes, more eggs, more this, more this than any other firm on the planet. And their stores made them the largest retailer in the world at the time. So they bring in Elmer Wheeler and they said, one of the most profitable things we sell are eggs. Uh, I don't know what they charge for them. I know what they paid for them, but there was quite a spread percentage wise. And they said, can you help? And uh, he said, eggs, okay. So he said, take me to one of your stores. They put him at the end of the store. And uh, he sat at the, at the end of the counter and he just watched. People came, ordered soft boiled eggs, hard boiled eggs, two eggs, three eggs. Well, if you order two eggs, that's probably what you want. Maybe a little more than you need. Probably not a way to talk them up to three. So he says, well, I was sort of sweating bullets there, trying to figure out how to solve this and then he saw something he didn't even know people did people would come in and order a milkshake and say one egg please and he watched and they would do all the stuff you do with a milkshake and then crack a raw egg and put it in and then stick it up under the blender he didn't know people put eggs in milkshakes he said it never heard of that but he watched it and about one out of i'm making up numbers one out of five asked for it without any prompting so his secret was, and I repeat, it caused a national egg shortage when the largest restaurant chain on earth suddenly exploded their egg sales. Their, their counters were shaped in U's connected to each other. And that U was sort of the, the waitress's server now, the waitress's uh, station, her office. And she took care of probably eight people around. He put two dozen eggs under the counter at the peak of the curve in every station. And when you ordered a milkshake or when they suggested you get a milkshake, which he also taught them suggestive selling, hard to turn down a milkshake. I had one yesterday. I wrote my, my diet I shouldn't have had, but the guy at the counter said, you want a chocolate milkshake with that? And I went, yeah, yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> so he taught him suggestive selling, but here's the most powerful thing he did. When you ordered a milkshake, you, the lady reached under the counter and palmed two eggs and held them up in front of the customer and said, one egg or two. And enough people who didn't plan on getting any said one or maybe two, but said one. And enough people who were already ordering one from time to time ordered two that the, the nation ran out of eggs <laughs> for some period of time. I'm sure they caught up rather quickly. But one egg or two 
that's all it was. And notice it's not a, do you want any eggs or not? It's one egg or two eggs. It's almost a statement, statement slash question. It's not, do you want? Right. Uh, Gigi's thing of 75 and it's yours isn't a question. It's an exclamation mark. Mm-hmm. Uh, McDonald's, the best job in, in America, et cetera. I saved an answering the call center industry. I began the call center industry, the 800 call center industry in, uh, 1976 and we had certain projections and lo and behold my projections were wrong far more people were leaving the service after some period of time than than we had anticipated so i sat in the control room and listened and i thought of elmer wheeler the whole time i was there listened what are we saying what are we saying and uh, people would call in salespeople to pick up their messages traveling people, whatever, to pick up their messages. They're already beaten down. They're tired. Uh, you know, they've been hammered about the head and shoulders all day long. And then they call their answering service and a friendly voice says, you don't have any messages. And after about the 50th time I heard that, I said, all right, I got the problem now. How do we solve the problem? We solved the problem with, you're all clear, sir. We made the fact that no one on the planet wants to talk to you sound like good news. <laughs> and it's and, all just a, a tiny little script change. Exactly. Ben, you're, you're genius. I love having you on this show. We learn so much from you every single time. Well, thank you. That's very sweet of you. I appreciate it. I wish Gigi were here to hear that. <laughs> I'll send her a note. I'll, I'll thank write you. it. <laughs> Well, Ben, this has truly, truly been an honor to sit and chat with you and listen to you and learn from you. And even though this is our, our retake, I still got a whole other page worth of notes here. This was, this was fantastic. Thank you for taking the time to chat with us. My pleasure. Have a nice day, ladies. Thank Absolutely. you. I always enjoyed having Ben Gay join us. The man is full of wisdom and he has really learned not learned, but he has spanned the ages in terms of he's seen a lot when it comes to sales. You know, most of all, I think one of the things that I was very influenced by, something that he said, is that fourth wall perspective. The fourth wall perspective. Do you want to comment on that a little bit, Stephanie? Yeah, well, what I loved about this was, and, and I do, like, he, this guy is brilliant. First of all, I can't remember if we, like, he, he's been on our show how many times now? This guy's just genius. I love talking Three, to, four, to Ben. Yeah. Something, something silly like that, just because just cause this guy's so smart. Um, but this fourth wall perspective, I liked that because I think that a lot of times as sales reps, we get caught up in our side of the sales process. We get caught up in writing the right script and, you know, building trust and rapport and blah, 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 all the things that we're supposed to do. Um, And I I think this fourth wall perspective kind of forces us to remember it's not about us. It's about the customer and it's about how they're feeling and what they're thinking. And um, sometimes we get caught up in our side of it. So I I love that just for that perspective of remembering, hey, you know, your job is to be thinking about the other person. Precisely. And not that you're stepping us outside of the interaction to criticize yourself, but really to see how are you coming across and how are you coming across to the other person? Because ultimately, especially in the sales environment that we're in these days, Stephanie, it's so important that we recognize that the customer's perspective is the one that's going to win. They're the ones that are making the decision, you know? 
I think the other thing I thought was extremely fascinating, and you know, we don't think that little changes make a big difference, but the story about one egg or two, oh my, that was amazing. Yeah. You know, people are afraid yeah. to cross sell, and it's so simple. Well, cross selling, they're afraid, they're afraid to cross sell because they're, you know, which is stupid because like you've already gotten the client. What, what? <laughs> you're not you can't lose at that point why not offer them something else you know cardone talks about the second sale the second sale is easier to get than the first sale yep. um but so i don't get why people are so scared about this whole cross-selling thing uh but i really love that they sat down they took time to figure out where did they have room to make a little improvement and it turned into what basically a billion dollar you know a billion dollar script that yeah. one one by sitting down sitting down and taking time to figure out what little tweaks to make. Because once you reach a certain level of success, and this is the black belt concept, I think, is once you reach that certain level of success, it's the little changes that make a difference. It's, it's changing so that your forward stance, your feet and your hands all land at the same time that mm -hmm. creates the power. It's, it's not so much about getting a forward stance at that point. And that's the black belt selling, that's sitting down. And what are the little things I can change that can just completely transform but it's taking that time too. It's the small changes, but it's taking that time to really self-evaluate that I, I really took away as a big, big piece out of that story. And I think it's important when you're looking at those little changes that can make a big difference, that you have an outsider help you see those things. You know, it, it, it's important because sometimes we can't see the forest for the trees. We can't see um, the picture because we're in the frame, so to speak. So it's good right. to have somebody yeah. else to help you and to experiment with it. Um, you know, the one thing I do, I, I work with a local company here, and um, and I've told them, I said, everybody that will ask me for a bag to sell, uh, to buy a bag of cookies, I will buy them. Do you know how many people ask me for cookies? Less than half. Less than half. And I'm well known, and I'm like, I'm an easy sale. I've already told you. Ask. And she is an easy see. sale. By the way, she's an easy sale. Just letting you guys know. If you're ever wondering, she's an easy sale. <laughs> <laughs> I got a dirty look. She's not talking, so the camera's not flipping over to her, but I'm getting a very dirty look right now. But I'm just saying, when you grow up and, you know, it's like, who would you rather talk to to try and get your ice cream, mom or dad? I mean, well, I'll just leave it there. But the point is, it is very easy to make a suggestion and to phrase the suggestion yeah. in a way that people will consider it favorably. And think about it. By asking one egg or two, they literally, literally had created such a demand in the egg business that they ran out of eggs. That's an amazing story. So um, we want to encourage you, listen to this again. If you're watching on YouTube, pay attention. Ben is an amazing person and he's he's wonderful to listen to. We had a, a few tech issues because of uh, you know tech is tech, but you will want to listen to every golden nugget that comes out of that man's mouth. So anyway, why don't you go ahead and close us out, Stephanie? Well, thank you guys so much for spending your Friday afternoon with us. It means a lot to us that you choose to come and keep hanging out with us here on Black Belt Selling. We would not be doing what we're doing if it weren't for you guys constantly encouraging us with your listens, with your shares, with your interactions inside of our Facebook group. 
hint, hint, which happens to be at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash black belt selling. We really do appreciate you guys. But in the meantime, I do want to remind you as always, you have absolute control over your life. Where you end up with your life is going to be 100% up to you. You're the only person who can make the choice to take the actions, to put in the effort to make your life into what you want it to be. So go out there. And when I say make it a great week, I mean for you to make it a great week. I'm Stephanie here for Anna. We are the Black Belt Sellers of Southwest and Central Texas. Make it a great week.